I got here not as a teen. I have no idea how the immigration system works. I have no idea what I was even doing here. You know, it was like I was dropped off in a way, you know? So like, I had no idea how immigration worked. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know I was undocumented until like one time I went to look for a job and they were like, you need legal papers. I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm a teenager. So my teen friends from high school, they're all, you know, bragging about how they got a job. So I'm like, oh yeah, I want a job too. And I go look for a job and they were like, you need social security, you need driver's license or valid ID. And I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. And then I go back and I'm looking at all my documentations. I'm like, oh, I don't have that one. <laughs> Am I supposed to have those? You know, so I, I then realized that I was undocumented and I was like, oh, so how do we fix this? Because I don't know. Born and raised in the motherland, chasing a better Hello, family. You are listening to Concrete Pastures. I am Nancy Mulemwasisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a platform to reach out to my fellow immigrants and dreamers. The goal is to provide a space for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We discuss issues that are important to us in the diaspora. We celebrate the joys, the laughs, the bravery that being an immigrant brings. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your support. To all of our new listeners, welcome to the family. You can continue to support us by downloading our Concrete Questions app for free on Google Play. You get access to our whole library. While you are there, we are an independent podcast. You can support us by giving us a donation or buying our merchandise. 50% of the proceedings go back to our veteran that makes them. You can also support us by subscribing or following us on our social media platforms. They are all called Concrete Pastures. I want to thank each and every one of you for leaving us reviews, for sharing the episodes. We love hearing from you. Our guests love hearing from you. I can't thank you enough. The more reviews we get, the more visibility we get as well. We want to reach as many people as we can. So we appreciate you. Keep those reviews coming. Let our guests know what resonated with you from their story. If you know anybody who's coming to the US of A here in New York City or even relocating within the United States, coming to New York City, Concrete Pastures would love to work with you, would love to help you integrate in your new country and in your new state. We are providing a targeted wraparound service based on your needs. If you have any questions about finding a job, finding housing, how to even interview, click the link tree in the show notes. Let's connect. We want to make sure we support you, integrate successfully. I can't wait to hear from you.
Thank you to FMG Radio for continuing to support us and giving us visibility on their platform. I want to thank Martin for introducing me to our next guest. Sylvia Doresme is the founder of Zill Technical Institute previously known as the SWVT. She migrated from the Caribbean without her parents at a tender age of 14. With dreams of breaking barriers in her family, Sylvia was determined to be the first college graduate in her immediate family. After graduating with her undergrad degree in business administration and a minor in legal studies, she was accepted at Nova SC University Weekend MBA and Law Program. However, she later discovered a passion for a trade education and insisted on opening a technical school at only 25 years of age. Mr. Resume is also authored in her first book, Thriving on Purpose Despite Setbacks, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and iBooks. Welcome, my hello, first Caribbean guest. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! In Africa, United. Yes, for sure. I love, it. I love it. I've always been mistaken for African, so here I am. <laughs> you know, for every time, all of my Haitian family. Whenever they see me, are you from Haiti? They start to speak Creole right away to me, right away. And I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm from yeah, Zambia. I get the same. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you look like you're from Haiti. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's okay. But I love Haitian you know, We are, we are African. All of us are. We all originated from there. My ancestors, we did, my brother did um, in, in, uh, DNA tests and uh, we had ancestors in Congo and nice. uh, yeah, and and I consider myself Nigerian. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Of it was from was from there. So yeah, we all African. I mean, of course, that's 100%. the most No, a hundred percent. So you came from Haiti at the tender age of fourteen. Could you 14, just so- give us a little bit of a test of how life was, if you remember? I mean, it's. 14 is young when you were there how was it how was it so I've had the privilege of growing up in three different countries before uh, by the time I was you know 15 so I'm very grateful for that so I grew up in Haiti St. Martin and then of course here in the United States of America Um, migrating here um, having lived in Haiti and St. Martin which both are Caribbeans um the experience, of course, like for many of us um, immigrants, it was interesting. We love our land, we love our countries, uh, but then the opportunities were, were limited. Yeah. Um, but I had a wonderful childhood there, um, and and I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. I grew up with a very entrepreneurial grandmother a very loving grandmother, a grandmother who believed in education, which is why I have a school now, didn't even know it was ingrained in me at such an early age, you know? Um, So um, looking back at my young age growing up in the Caribbean, um, I'm very thankful to my parents for seeing greatness in me at an early age. I'm thankful for the opportunity to give me um for us immigrants a lot of people think oh you migrated here at 14 and they think how heartbreaking is that you know this is so relevant in our community 
so relevant in our community, right? Yeah. So um, I, I look at I look at it as if they give me an opportunity. It was hard, great. It was heartbroken that I had to leave my family behind at such a young age. It's painful. I, I probably did not understand what was happening, but looking back to them, they were giving me an opportunity. An opportunity, an opportunity that I couldn't see and I didn't understand, um, and it was, and I can't imagine. You know, sometimes we don't give our parents grace enough grace for the heartbreaks and the tough decisions that they've had to make. You know, how many parents wants to send their children away at 14? They don't want to do that. Yeah. No, but that that's the life we live. That's our community. Sometimes that is our only choice to make something of ourselves so we can break all the barriers in our families. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, th I totally get it. We don't give our parents enough grace because I, I, I can't imagine like when I was leaving, uh, I was straight from high school and I came here. Uh, I remember my mom at the airport, even though she was smiling, like I was bawling my eyes out, even though she was smiling, now being a parent, I know that they, as a parent, you always want to show strength Yes. That and I know that she was breaking apart inside. She was just like, I, I don't know what, what what's gonna happen to my child because when I got here, she was calling me every single day. <laughs> it's, tough. it's really tough and you know we, we don't realize it until we get older because I was upset with my parents for a very long time mm. I was upset when I was dealing with heartaches and and um, challenges as a young girl I wanted my mother there for me you know mm. I wanted to be able to reach to my dad so then um, at some point I started blaming them for all the horrible things that were happening to me and they weren't there for me I'm like, how could you do this to me? How could you send me to a country where I have no family, I have no friends, I have nobody, and then now I'm at the at the at the verge of being homeless and 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 not to sound um, you know conflicting, but you know a lot of us coming from Africa or the Caribbean or other countries that are less fortunate than America or so they say <laughs> um you know we we come from a decent situation where listen growing up i had we had people working for us and and i didn't think we were poor yeah and so i i felt like growing up i kind of had a decent childhood where i felt like my parents were at least middle class family we were doing good and so I, I moved here and I'm like, wow, we were really poor. <laughs> you, you're going to get a little wake up when you look at people's mansions here. It's like, oh my God. No, forget about the mansion. You know, I got to the airport and I'm like, yep, this is definitely a different environment than what I'm used to. This is like the size of the island, you know, just the airport, you know? <laughs> so I remember when I came here looking at the big billboards and the airport and the size of everything. And I'm just like, whoa, this is huge, you know? But um, just to go back in a more profound, um, you know, um, response to your questions about life, coming here to the to America it really it opened up my eyes in so many different ways that I probably would not have seen growing up in the Caribbean and I'm thankful for it but it wasn't an easy process the immigration process the the, the life process of it was not easy how did you navigate because being here at that tender age by yourself I can't imagine um 
what you went through. I know you share a lot of it in your book. Just give us a little bit of a test on how you navigated being, I guess, moving from house to house. As a girl, for me, the only thing I always worry about is the trust and how everybody's going to treat me. And being at that age, I always used to worry. Yeah. Male figures and all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people think I'm a very protective mom now. They were like, you're so protective. You need to lay off a little bit. And many times they don't realize it's because of the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless if he's a boy or a girl, because sometimes they say he's a boy, you have to give him his freedom. You have to allow him to be. It doesn't matter. I know what I experienced as a kid, and I don't think it really has to do anything with gender. You know, it has it has to do with innocence and being a child and vulnerable. I was fortunate in some aspect, and I wasn't. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, and thankfully, when I was navigating through houses to house, and by the time I was 18, I, I had already gone through 13 different homes in my life. So I had a very unstable childhood very unstable teenage years. But again, I grew up in a very Christian household in my early years where there were some strong foundations. And luckily when I came here to the United States, I I was blessed to live with families with similar or the same values. So that kind of carried me through where I didn't have to worry, worry about certain things. Mm. But Christians are not, people are people. Yeah. Human beings are human beings. That's why I feel like Christians, us Christians, sometimes we need more. We need God more than ever because yeah. we aren't perfect, right? So there were times there were Christian families where I was vulnerable, where there were situations where the male figure tried to push their way through. It happens. It's it, it bounced to happen in a situation like that. It's very weird, and, and there are very few people that I know in similar situation that then experienced that kind of, you know, situation. So it's very relevant in my situation as a teen. Uh, I, I navigated because I navigated in a way that I knew how I had to make tough decisions at such a young age. So I had to uh, make decisions based on my faith, my knowledge and what I learned from my the little bit that I had the opportunity to learn from my parents, specifically my grandmother, because my grandmother was was the person who really raised me. So a lot of the early values and foundations came from her. And she was a very strong woman. And she was a very disciplined person. She was well-respected in her community. Um, and she, she, she taught me all the tough lessons really early on. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm five years old and she's already talking about, you need to marry someone who, who respects you, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about being eight years old and, and she's already teaching me business. Like, this is how you charge customers. I used to sell to customers at eight years old. I used to, and she used to give me money, tons of money to, to hold, that was her savings account. You know, because I was really good with numbers. I was brilliant when it comes to math. And so I was her math genius. So she would sit there um, uh, when she collects money from customers and she got, she has a pile of money in front of me at eight years old. And she's like, okay, put them into pile. Put the singles here, the fives here. The Like I literally at five years old already knew what money was and counting thousands of dollars, you know? So I was blessed to have these early foundations from my grandmother where I um, Yes, I was somewhat book smart, but I was also street smart at an early age. Yeah. So so then it wasn't easy for, for people to pull tricks on me. 
<laughs> I was the one pulling the tricks, not them. You know? So, uh, navigating, um, yeah, navigating was okay. I, 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 I made the tough decisions. I don't regret them. It was difficult. I was, you know, there were many tough nights where I, I had to be alone, crying. Like, why do I have to decide where am I? What am I going to eat tomorrow? There were times where I ran out of money. There were times where I became homeless. I had to sleep on the bench outside of the bus uh, station. Uh, there were times I had to sleep on friends' couches until I was able to rent my own place. And there were times I had no money. I had to go borrow money. Like it, 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 it was tough. Financially, emotionally, spiritually, it was tough. But again, my early foundations helped me through my faith in God and and just me having a vision because at a very young age, I realized how tough life was for my mom who was a teen mom. I realized how tough life was and I just wanted not to be that person. I, I wanted to do better. So I decided that at a very early age, so and I, and I continued with that same mindset and that also helped me as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> no, um, I'm just digesting everything you're saying because um, that must have been really traumatizing to be by yourself. Because I, if, even though I'm here without my mom, my sisters, it's uh, it was okay for me when I because uh, I had my aunt with me as a support system. Um, but I cannot imagine just being all by yourself and having difficult times in nights, days, wondering what's going, to, what tomorrow is going to bring. That's a challenging one. It builds a lot of stamina in you. Like for whatever to come, uh, you're just going to be like, okay, this one will pass too. We'll, we'll, we'll let it, it will pass as well. But the storm never lasts. The storm never lasts is my model. Like, you know, whatever you're going through, you really have to go through it. You know, it was it was meant for like, yes, it's not fair. I never say, okay, it's not fair. It's not fair, but there there is a lesson in it. There's a there's a reason why you're going through it. But like I always say quite often, we focus on what we're going through not what it makes out of us. We don't realize the blessings and the the, you know, lessons until years later sometimes right away but sometimes years later like there were certain things that i i went through i mean during the time when i were when i was going through them my gosh i'm like why god why me like i i battle with god i'm like why me like why and now and now i look back and i go oh that was why <laughs> yes, yes. That no, was lessons. yeah i'm learning the lessons years later so i don't believe god intend for us to go through the things that we go through i mean sometimes yes yeah, stupidity get us there sometimes yes. bad decisions you know but it's it's never a mistake it's a lesson and 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 it, it strengthened us some of us we look at it as a lesson and it really strengthened us to be better human beings it, it, it's actually better just to look at it that way that it's it is a lesson which is it's the truth it is a lesson um but you are when you're in the thick of it it's just like why no. uh, we've all had those days where we're just questioning everything and especially yeah. for us believers you're just like okay god what, <laughs> what's happening we just, i just had that talk with them the other day i'm like really really like what am I doing wrong? <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, this, this, uh, uh, we, we've been talking. Like, come on. Like, uh, are you here? Are you not? And yeah, it's, it's, it's been one. It's been yeah. one of those. <laughs> yeah. Like it's Absolutely. the beginning of the year. Like, let's have a chat. 
so during that time you are going through house to house how was your immigration status how did you get your papers to at this point because i know you, right. you came from haiti you probably came on a visa but how did you get your papers to be established to this point my immigration story is so uh, i hope it's it it will give you hope and it's also depressing at the same time i was blessed and lucky very lucky and i say this because I have friends who has been in this country for years, years, 20, 30 years, and they're still unable to get their legal status. Mm-hmm. And and that's where this is where I battle with God, but I look at the blessings. I really do. I got here not as a teen. I have no idea how the immigration system works. I have no idea what I was even doing here. You know, it was like I was dropped off in a way. You know, yeah. so like. I had no idea how immigration worked. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know I was undocumented until like one time I went to look for a job and they were like you need legal papers. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I'm a teenager, so my teen friends from uh, you know, um high school, they're all, you know, bragging about how they got a job. So I'm like, "Oh yeah, I want a job too." You know. <laughs> I want to work and make money. And I go look for a job and they were like, "You need social security, you need uh driver's license or valid ID." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And then I go back and I'm looking at all my documentations. I'm like, "Oh, I don't have that one." <laughs> 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 Am I supposed to have those? You know, so I, I then realized that I was undocumented and I was like, oh, so how do we fix this? Because I don't know. I was blessed and lucky to still be in my teen years. Oh, so nice. I was a minor immigrant uh, without um, company. So I'm kind of like state properties. I don't have any family. I or I'm the government. I the government pretty much owns me at that point. I'm a teenager and 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 I was disclosed to going through the system, the um foster care system. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. I'm pretty much the property of the United States because I'm a teen. I don't have parents, I don't have family here, nobody. So it was either go back or submit myself to 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 whatever programs they had available. I was very blessed, like I said, and lucky to have the church people that I had in my life. And I met this incredible lady who worked in an immigration office uh before, had knowledge of immigration. I had no idea what she was doing. Again, I was like 15, 16. I had no idea what I was what she was doing. Yeah. Um and um and then all I remember she was saying, "Okay, I found a program to put you through. Sign here, sign there." And then um I had to work under the table. I mean, sorry I have to admit it, but I had to work doing hair, doing whatever that I had to do to come up with the money, and my mother was able to help me partly with the money for the immigration documents. And we submitted my documentations and then if I remember correctly, again this was decades ago, so I'm trying to remember all the facts here, but if I remember correctly, I went uh they sent the paperwork went to immigration uh appointment in Miami which was the scariest appointment in my life mm. in my life because they took me away from my guardian my legal guardian at that time and interviewed me like there was no tomorrow I wasn't there for 3 hours being interviewed whoa imagine as a teenager how that must have felt three like hours. oh my god 3 hours interview I was intimidated crying sweating questions were being asked that I'm like I don't even know how to answer them <laughs> because I was not prepared for them so it was just like interrogation like just literally drilling me 
to find out the truth of whatever I guess I put on the documentations. Yeah. And I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then finally, um, I was released uh, after three hours from the immigration interview. Went with my guard, legal guardian at that time, which is the lady who decided to help me. Uh, instead of sending me through the system, she decided to become my legal guardian. Her name is Sheila, my guardian angel. We left and then a few months later, I got a letter saying that I was able to stay in the United States and I could file for legal status. Wow. And so within a year after that, I was able to get all my documentation, file for a green card and became a naturalized um, residence here in the United States. When I tell you I was blessed and lucky. Yeah, that's amazing. I was blessed and lucky. and Because they would have just easily put you back on a plane and back to... Right. Well, I believe that's what the interview was for. The interview was to determine if I get, you know, deported or stayed here in the United States. Yeah. And that's what the interview was for. So they released me um, and I guess that I had to be supervised. And then a month later, I got the letter that I was able to stay and uh, I was able to file for my legal status, got my social security and driver's license. And then it was goal time from there. And and that's something I really don't take for granted because I, 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 I'm I telling you, I went to school. I went to high school with people, with friends from Africa, from the Caribbean, from um, the, you know, Central America and and they, they were shocked. Like, what? You got what? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so everybody, was- like all of us as immigrants, everybody hides their status. Whether you're even a, a U.S. citizen or whatever, nobody talks about their status. No. Even when somebody, like, asks, it's now that we are openly talking about it. But because the journey is so tense. Yes. Like it's okay. so challenging, and when w- when you come out of it, you don't even believe it yourself. For like, oh my God, I'm finally out of it. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing, but but I, the trauma from that interview stuck yeah. with me mm. for a very long time. And you know, imagine I'm crying to them, bawling my eyes out, and I'm being interviewed by two parole officers who didn't care whether I was a teenager or an adult, it was hard. It was, it was, it was traumatizing. Yeah. I can't imagine what, what we have to go through. Like I can, but what I'm basically saying is that it's so unfair what we have to experience. Yeah. Especially as colored people. Yeah. But you know what, Nancy, here's the thing about me when it comes to immigration experiences, as 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 horrible as the experience was for me and as much as I'm against it many times I blame our home countries for it I blame our home countries for it and this is like the more political side of things of course because we we have we have so much in our homelands we have so much but we can't make it work and we have to run away to look for life elsewhere hundred percent. I agree with you. I agree with you. Almost everybody who's been on this platform has talked about it, whether it's my Zambian uh, family and everybody. And we talk about it as African as a whole. And we talk about as world as whole, because the reason why we leave our countries is for a better life. 
Yes, that's the main reason. <laughs> but a life in our country, nobody will be leaving. Like South Africans don't really leave their countries like that. Like they come, they're literally given everything on the uh, on the platter for a lot of them. Not everybody, but for a lot of them, they come already with green cards, with everything uh, yeah. when they come here because their country is already established. Yes. To a, to a certain standard compared to the rest of us in Africa. Yes. But even though it is considered a developing country, I don't know why, but yeah. it's one of those. I, I hope the future, like the future generation gets it better than what you and I, you know, experienced in yeah. the immigration process. It's definitely tough when it, when it comes to acquiring your papers and all of us have different journeys. That's why we are here to share our stories because yeah. someone might relate to your story and someone might relate to my story. It's definitely traumatizing. I had to do a lot of therapy for it. Being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. I have therapy. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. You have, uh, I mean, ch childhood trauma um, stays with you. And if you don't take care of it, 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 it pops up. It, so even many if you areas. take care of it, it still does. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, a, it's, I, I heard Kevin Hart conversation with Jay Shady and he was talking about monsters that he has and monsters is just the things that pop up that habits or whatever patterns that you do and he puts them aside and he's able to you know he's at the point where he's able to tell them stay there you don't have to come up Right. Or whatever, not exactly in those words, but at least he's able to like sit down. We don't have to go there and all of that. So I've yeah. gotten to that point where you can take a look at what you experienced having gone through your therapy. Have you gotten to that point where, you know, I can still experience these things, even if they pop up, I'm able to handle Oh, yes, definitely. You know, therapy is what... Um, helped me and that's what inspired me to write my book Thriving on Purpose wow. because that's when I realized when I was doing therapy I realized wow I've been thriving because I had a purpose which is great but then everything else is broken and damaged mm. 
So that was the only great thing. I'm thriving on purpose. That's great. That's amazing. I'm, you know, creating businesses. I'm giving people opportunities. I'm, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. That's just great in the eyes of the public. Yeah. But, you know, the inner side of the Sylvia that Sylvia should love and appreciate was damaged and broken and, you know, literally in pieces. And, and like you said, when you don't take care of your childhood traumas, it, 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 it eventually it is caught up to you. Yeah. That's what happened to me. I, for years, I mean, first of all, let's just be clear. Our communities, we don't really, um, talk about. Yeah. Therapy. Yeah. That's the number one thing. I didn't even know what, what was therapy until years later. And I discussed, I discussed that in my book. I didn't even know that existed. I didn't even know I was experiencing childhood traumas. Mm. until somebody pointed out to me and I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, childhood traumas. Yes, I did this. Oh, yep, that is totally me. <laughs> and then that's when I started noticing, wow, this is why I do certain certain things the way I do. And this is why I, I attract certain people in my life. Yeah. And so, um, so then one day it's just all, I'm at like the best, best, um, phase in my, in my, of my life. I've, I've had good money in the account. I didn't have to worry about bills being, all the bills are automatic. They're just going through every month. Life is great. Um, I, I just relaunched my business and had all sort of political figures in my office supporting the cause. I'm hosting nonprofit organizations and helping my community. Things are great in my life. Mm. My son's healthy. Things are going good for the first time ever with his dad. Thank God. And then I woke up one day and I felt empty. Literally, like, like I just got, it felt like I literally got hit by a truck and I couldn't get up. I couldn't get out of bed. My world, my world was just pitch black. Despite the fact that everything was going great. It was, it was literally the first time in my life where I could take a breather. And I took that breather and it was like the biggest mistake ever because once I did, when I did, then everything just started hitting me at once. And it was just like, okay, I need to do something about this here. Otherwise it's going to uh, paralyze me, emotionally paralyze me. And that's when I went for help, uh, got a therapist, started going through the pro process, started doing the work, the inner work. <laughs> and the most uh, important work you ever do yes, for yourself. The most important thing I've ever done for myself, I thought, Oh, breaking barriers, becoming the first college graduate, building a million dollar business. You know, I thought doing X, Y, and Z was the work. Yeah. And then I realized, no, you're broken. You're, you're literally damaged. Yeah. <laughs> damaged goods. And so <laughs> I, I had to, I had to do the inner work. Yeah. And, um, and that's when I started realizing who I really was and what was important to me and what I needed to do. And I started my healing process. So the book, when I wrote the book, it was literally therapy for me. It was, it was a way I started journaling. Yeah, it was therapy. It was me journaling my life. And then, uh, and then one day I'm like, I want to put that in a book. I mean, people always like my friends, they always say, Sylvia, you should write a book, like your life stories, things you've been through from, you know, being an immigrant here and being a, a young business owner and graduating college at an early age, going through marriage and, and divorce and all of it, like just all of it. And, and so they thought your stories, need, your story needs to be told. 
And I'm like, I don't have time. It's not my thing. I can't put my life out there like that, you know? But then when I was going through my healing process after having th that breakdown, um, I started journaling and then that journal be became kind of like a book, you know? And so um, the inner work is important. It's so important. It's so crucial. And th those childhood traumas, th those uh, life traumas, because every everybody, we all have experienced yeah. some forms of trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not just me. You have... My mom, who's a teen mom that I've blamed for so many things, I look back at her and now I look at her, I cherish her because I'm like, how did she do it? I can't imagine being 15 years old and being a mom and being a wife and no. So for years, I can see why she felt like she was a failure and she has this inferiority complex where if I even approach her in a certain way, she'll be offended. And I didn't understand why she'll be offended. It's because she felt like, well, I sacrificed my life for you to give you this life and you don't even respect me. Yeah. And it's not that I didn't respect her. It's not that I was doing anything wrong, but it's, it's her traumas replaying. Like, oh, well, if I didn't have you early, I could have gone and, you know, become a nurse like I've always wanted to become. I could have done this X, Y, and Z, but then I give birth to you guys and you guys kind of stole that from me. And it's wrong for her to think that way as a mother, but I can understand why she could think that way, yeah. you know? So taking care of, of your traumas is, is important. I, I, as, a, as a school owner, I have seen it every single day. I, I, and I talk about that in, in many of my interviews. Um, my students were part of the reasons why I wrote my book as well, because I saw how they allowed, they allowed trauma to hinder them from real success in life. Uh, quite often I sit with some of them that are in my eyes, to me, I'm looking at them, not just in the physical aspect, but like, yeah. you know, they're brilliant. They're very smart people, but, but, but they, they've experienced so many traumas in their life uh, that they, it's almost impossible to, to get out of the mindset that they're a victim. Yeah or there's no one out there who cares enough for them or therapy is not a black person thing or a colored person thing or they're not you know uh, it, there were so many negative you know mindsets around our traumas and our communities that we aren't doing enough work to bring light that it's okay to find healing it's okay to cry it's okay to find to get therapy it's okay to build a community it's okay to let the past go and become a better version of yourself and most importantly it's okay to be selfish to work on yourself well said it's okay to be selfish i think a lot of us are scared of that to take time even away from our family members i did it i recently yes. did it i something was triggered like you said, we've all got gone through a lot of trauma and yes. it's through the journey that you're going through. Something might trigger you. You think you're over it and something might trigger it. You're not going to be at the same level that yes. you were before, but it will be on a different stage or different level of yes. triggering. So I took some time off literally to just work on myself, meditate, meet with my therapist and meditate every single day and just check yeah. in with myself. A lot of us immigrants, we are too much on a goal. Every single day we are on a goal. 
our, uh, something <laughs> happens back home where we, we want to fix everything. We fix it, but then it leaves us empty inside. And then something happens to us. We just keep going. You get sick. Okay. You, you take medication and you, you keep it going. We never stop to check in with how am I feeling inside because of how we are raised. We A lot we of us, yes, we, don't. We, we are told to toughen up, bundle it up. I've said it time and time and again here, just toughen up. You don't connect with your emotions. You, there's no time to connect with your emotions because survival you, mode. We, we, yeah. as immigrants, we are on survival mode, and that's yeah. what I'm learning how to not live on survival mode now. And it's a very tough process because that's, like you said, that's all we've learned. That yeah. they, they literally ingrained that in us at such a young age. Be resilient. Be strong. You yeah. know, can you imagine when you're crying, when you're hurt, and they tell them, don't cry. What are you crying yes. about? Don't, don't cry. And then emotionally. I know. And and when you cry, you're releasing something. And if you don't Toxic. release Toxic. that emotion, it just stays in you. And it's going to come out. This is why people are acting out. They're like, oh, why is someone acting out? Because they haven't released their emotions. You guys are telling them, oh, don't cry. Don't do that. Don't Don't show emotions. When you connect with your emotions, you free yourself. Yes. Yes. You're That's yourself. what I imagine you, life you, right Yes. You're giving yourself a gift. Connect with yourself. Talk to yourself. Whatever stage you're on. And we're all going through something. And this is the biggest thing that I tell people to always show up with kindness. Because yes. you don't know that yes. what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. We are, we, we've all learned to show up smiling. It's the biggest suit that we all wear. We show up and we are smiling on our social media, on my social media, everywhere we go at work, we show up smiling, but then no one knows what's going on inside. But when we work in our, on, on ourselves and we take time to connect with ourselves, we show up authentically. That's, that's absolutely right. And that's one of my rules in my life now in my life. This is not something that I, I've always practiced, but I adopted it recently. And before I go to bed, after I, you know, do my routines, I ask myself, did you smile today? Not just for the world, but did you smile for yourself? Yeah. Did I smile for myself? Not just for the world. Look at me. I'm strong. I'm this, I'm that because, you know, yeah. and that's the thing for years, I thought the word strong was a compliment. Oh, you're such a strong woman. And I'm just oh, like, me yeah. too. I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Power to the people. I am strong. Yeah. And I utilize that to bottle up all these emotions. And, um, and, and it's like, wow, yes, I'm strong. I am strong, but I'm also a very, you know, I'm, a, I'm very human. I'm a human being. Yeah. And I'm emotional too. <laughs> I have emotion and, so, and, and and so so because of that that mindset that I'm so strong and resilient, I would not ask for help. Yeah. I would not ask for help because if I yeah. I would not cry in front of people, I had an issue with crying because every time I cry, I would slap myself. I'm like, nope, you're not weak. Why are you crying? Don't and I'm like, my God. <laughs> There's so many things. I started to read your book. There's so much that's aligned with my life. And this is the thing that I say that when we go through life, there's somebody else going through the same thing and it's so aligned. And that's why we can see ourselves in people's stories. And this yes. is the beauty of sharing our stories in the way that we share our stories. I love the cover of your book. 
Thank you. The, the fact that it's a woman standing and the branches yes. are more of like hair almost looking and then the roots. I, I just love the, the whole cover. Thank you. And even the message, I love that you start with a quote on there of a mountain and how you climb the mountain and uh, you either climb it or you go to the other side. I, I don't want to give away too Your much. Choice. <laughs> yes. Um, we all have those mountains, whatever it is in anybody's life. And I, I right away, I was like, wow, we all do have our mountains that we carry. For me, I call them crosses. We all have our crosses that we carry. And show up with kindness for everybody. Show up with kindness because you just never know. And this is something that I'm teaching my son who's 10 years old now. I'm teaching him you need to not just be nice because we're thought to be nice. <laughs> but being nice, or you what's the attention? I can be nice and then turn around and stab you in the back with a knife, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it's being kind that we need to, to understand. Like I have this mindset uh, before I went through my, my healing process and journey, I remember when someone would overreact, the first thing in my head was to hit them back where it hurts. You yeah. hurt me, I'm you, you know? Yeah. But I've learned through my journey, I've learned that, like you said, people, they react sometimes based on the traumas that they've experienced. Yeah. So I've, I've used this tactic where when they overreact, I tend to calm myself down and respond to them in a kind way. Yeah. It's not that they, what the way they responded to me is not is, is nice. It's not nice. You know, I could hit them back. And when I hit back, I hit back below the belt. Yeah. But then how does that make me a better human being or a better person? Yeah. You know, and how do I know by me hitting below the belt, this isn't like my last, the last thing that person needs to commit suicide or hurt themselves or even like, think less of themselves because people who are healed and are at peace with themselves don't react certain ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So quite often when people react to me in that manner, in my mind, I'm like, okay, yeah, that person's going through something, been through something, hasn't really found peace with their life. And I'm not about to let them, you know, crap on my, you know, um, yeah. peaceful life. Yeah. So I respond to them in a kind way. And you'll be surprised how many times uh, that same person realized that I was not willing to match their energy, as they say these days, yeah. um, that they calm down and even thank me or like, you know, reverse the energy. Like, okay, yeah, she's not about to go there with me or she understands. It's kind of like she understands me. Yes. Yes. Or oh, she hears me. Because uh, She well, hears me. Everybody wants to be heard. And when someone doesn't want, feels in any way, shape that they are not being heard, they're going to raise their tone and they'll keep raising it and they'll keep raising it. I go through it at work with a lot of uh, our clients. Oh, microaggression, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they love things to go their way. And I, I, I'm just like this. The same way you see me here, it's the same way I am at work. And it's just, then nobody would actually even come back and apologize. Literally, whether it's the same day or a different day. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was going through um, something. It's just, oh, I'm so sorry. My, my, my employees, I needed to pay my employees something. They'll come and apologize. Right. It's because I've just chosen this life of showing up 
with kindness. And, and a lot of people in my career, being in the corporate world, everybody just kept telling me, you're too nice, you're too nice. I cannot change that. No. And, and I don't want to change that. Because no. I've tried to toughen up because I had a manager. <laughs> she, she, she's from Asia. They are very tough for a lot of them. Not everybody, but for a lot of them, because of the way they are, their upbringing, they are very tough. You can never do enough. So when I first became a supervisor, I kind of like tried to mimic the way she managed. I couldn't do it. No, I could because no. it was not me. It was not my personality. I just found myself suffocated. I'm like, no, 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 no. I checked myself really quick, and I went back to being me. And I have more of a following um, that way of my team compared to me being so tough. And everybody has their way. And showing up kind has worked. Yeah. <laughs> Up yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm not preaching for anyone to be a doormat, you know. No, of course not. You have to know how to stand up for yourself. But yeah. at the same time, there are ways we handle things, regardless if we're standing up for ourselves. There is a way to do things, and there's a way certain people handle things. You can see where they're at in life. Yeah, no, for a hundred percent. I, my thing is, when, when I'm stern, I'm stern, and yeah. when I'm showing up, just showing up is just showing up your book let's get into it before we get into, let's the, get into the book yes let's get into the book thank you for reading my book i was worried i'm like oh my gosh she's not going to have enough time to do it like that's you're amazing oh thank you thank you i i i do my research and i want to make sure that i do justice to uh someone yeah. who's coming on even your uh the, your lonely times i'm like oh this seems like me <laughs> These were my alone times. I have so much confidence with my alone times. I'm just like, <gasps> and then when I'm in front of people, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't even know how I do this. I'm an introvert. So I no idea. It had to grow on me. Yeah. But thank you for sharing your book. What inspired you? I know you've spoken a little bit of it, that your, um, your students have also inspired you to write the book. Your therapy inspired you to write your book. What is the core of why you wrote the book? Like, what do you want people to get out of your book? Yes. Um, thank you for, for um, asking me that question. So um, many things inspired me to write the book. But like I said, it was a form of therapy for me. Um, and I really wanted to share my stories because I feel like our stories aren't being told enough from the immigration point of view, mm -hmm. you know, the immigrant's point of view, rather. Yeah. Um, you know, we... we, we we go through so much. Say that again. We go through so much. And uh, people usually see the success end of it, not the struggle. Yeah. And there are so many little girls like me, whether they're from, you know, Central or South America, you know, or, or Africa or um, the Caribbean, because those are the, those are the areas that suffer the most from these type of experiences. I can't really say Europe because, you know, they get the easiest pass to come to this country. So, <laughs> yep. uh, it's the truth. I mean, it, right. it's, we're not saying anything that's not out there. It's out there. Right. And Asia, of course. So like, I, I wanted to share my book because I wanted little black girls like me to find hope. And every one of us have a little girl in us. Every single one of us. So it was just literally me taming little Sylvia 
and sharing it with the world because little Sylvia was out of control while big Sylvia was doing big things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she popped up. She's like, hey, hold up. She's like, I'm here. I want to have a party. And I'm like, not right now, you know? So I, I needed to tame little Sylvia. And I know a lot of us have little, uh, little versions of ourselves in all of us. Yeah. And I wanted to send a message to encourage people to find healing because although I was... I was very successful at a certain level, like the, at the time where I was, I was successful the most is the time that I was hurting the most. Mm. And so people are running after success, which is great. And whatever success might be, and we'll, we'll get into that to them because success means different things to everyone. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I really wanted to share that you can go after success, but if you don't do the inner work. At the end of the day, success, success success means nothing. Yeah. You're not gonna be able to enjoy your fruits. You have to. And and when I when I broke down and I went downhill, I didn't find value in my success. Although I had it. You know, I built the school. I built, you know, we've served over over six thousand people. I have a really healthy, balancing little boy. Like things were like things were going I can travel wherever I want to. I go to Europe, I got whatever, you know. Yeah. But then I was broken inside. And so I want people to really um, take the time to heal. You know, it's okay to go to, to therapy. It's okay to forgive yourself. Whatever mistake you made before, it's okay. We didn't, We you know, we didn't... Many times in our young days, we don't understand what is happening to us. And so therefore, we can't blame ourselves for it. We can only forgive ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's okay to forgive our parents. It's okay to forgive. It's okay to forgive not just you, but those who've done wrong to you. Yeah. I mean, I have met people in their 50s, 60s, and they're holding grudges from when they were in their 20s. How could you How could you live life like that? I mean, I'm not saying to, again, be a doormat where you have your doors open to be hurt over and over again. Yeah, You can create healthy boundaries. And still yeah. forgive and love at a distance. Yeah. And I didn't quietly know how to do that. I had this, I was one of those people, you're either on my side or you're not. Once I cut you off, I cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> like there was no forgiving. There was no forgiving. Like, oh, you've done me wrong. Like, especially when I was good to you, you've wronged me. You're done. You are done. You could be dead. That's your problem. Go to go to hell. Go to heaven. That's between you and the Lord. I was literally that person. It didn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. um, but when I started going through my healing, I realized that it was okay to forgive those people. Like, why am I giving them free rent for? Like, they were living. They were literally living in my head rent free. Yep. And and. And while I'm sitting here building all these animosity, fighting with myself, these people are moving on with their life. They forgot about me. <laughs> Some of them didn't even true. remember what they did wrong, you know? It's like I'm fighting with myself. And and you know what? I, we're laughing about it, but guess what? Yeah. It's very relevant in our community. We do that. I no, mean, my mother very, is still now angry. It's very true. I watch my mother, like she's been divorced for years from my dad, years. And the level of animosity this woman has against the man who's remarried, it's like, lady, move on. <laughs> it hurts. But we have to move on because when we don't move on from all the pain and suffering, when we don't move on from all the pain and suffering in our lives, it really hinders us from, it, it hinders us from growing. 
I never felt free in my, I, once I wrote this book and I found healing, I felt this level of freedom that I've never experienced before. I was going to ask you that. It's very and I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, what was this freedom? Where was it years ago? I, I literally, I could have given myself a heart attack all these years, literally yeah. battling and fighting with myself, you know? Uh, but a lot of the animosities, a lot of the painful situation that happened to me and how I held on to them. It's so easy for, for us to help to to hold on to our to our traumas, you know, then to seek healing. Yeah. Because that's your comfort zone. Right? You, you know it. It's familiar. That's your comfort zone. Yeah. And you can always go to it and like, he did me this. He did me that. Yeah. You, you don't want to be, you want to continue it's, to be a victim. No, and, and and that's what I want to encourage people to really let go and find freedom in, within. Find freedom within. Like, I'm so unbothered. I am so unbothered by so many things in my life that used to bother me. Mm. And by doing that, I've found so much more time for myself. You know, like I had an issue saying no to people and that was part of the trauma that I experienced. Like I say yes, but then I get in my car and I'm like, Mother Moses, why did I say yes to this? I know I don't want to do it. And I say yes. Just so I've learned to say no. And that no comes with a period at the end. I don't have to give an explanation. It, it it's a no. No is a complete sentence. I've had to learn no was a complete sentence. <laughs> And many of us, we don't know how to do that. Oh, girl. I, I, I learned how to say no and no explanations. It's like, okay, let's not explain. No. Okay. I don't have to explain. I'm sorry. I can't make it to your event. It's a no. I don't have to tell you why I cannot make it to your event. Yeah. If it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work. Most of the time, people don't care if you, for the reason. You can't make it. That's all they heard. Mentally, psychologically, that's all they heard. You can't make it. Everything else, even if you say my mother died, oh, they'll rec they'll acknowledge it. Oh, I'm so sorry your mother died, but then they're gonna remember you can't make it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what the, that's the part they're gonna move on with. She can't make it. You know, yeah. the but unimportant. I mean, granted, if it's a family, friends, I mean, you know, someone you're close with, yeah. there's a level of relation, you know, relationship there. But no is a complete sentence. And if it doesn't fit my lifestyle, if it doesn't, you know, align aligns with who I am. I mean, being talking about being triggered, I had to learn environments that triggered me. That's true. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I here? Why am I sitting on this table right now? Being deterred, like literally being devoured by yeah. people who don't care about me yeah. or or dealing with their own traumas rather and they're projecting it on me yeah why am i here yeah. and it triggered me and now i'm like thinking all kind of thoughts no i'm not going to that table there's other tables there are there are other tables for me and those are the tables that i'm going to not that one so i've had to learn to manage environments people situations that triggers me and when I get triggered, I, I, I've, had, I've had to remind myself that uh, healing is a process. Yeah. And I talk about that in my book. Yeah. Because quite often we think healing is a one-time deal. You know, you, you, you know, when you pay for an item, you know, you buy it one time, you slide the card, you pay for it. And it's, no, it's an investment. You constantly have to slide that card and put in, and put in the time, put in the investment. It's an investment. And quite often when you're triggered is when you have to put in that investment. Yeah. So when you're triggered, it's not the end of the world. You have to acknowledge that you're being triggered. That's the hard, that's the hard part. 
it's having it's you know being able to acknowledge that oh i'm being i'm being triggered now don't be a maniac now and think oh every little thing triggers me i'm talking about things that really triggers you to the point where it takes you back in, into a a, situ- a situation a position or mindset that you shouldn't be in yes yeah. Well, you know, you have to say no and you have to be able to love that person at a distance, avoid that environment or just simply say no with a period at the end. There's no explanation needed because it's good for you. It's good for your mental health and it's good for your journey. And that's that. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Period at the end. Love period it. at the end. <laughs> no explanation needed. <laughs> There's so many people that are writing something, working on something. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was uh, working on the on the podcast, I did a lot of my intros. I recorded my own um, my own stories in here, which are on the podcast. But prior to launching, the level of anxiety I had—it's so exposing of yourself. How did you deal with that? Because if there's somebody writing a book, working on something, and they want to launch something, how did you deal with that anxiety? Because I couldn't sleep. (laughs) Before the death. Um, I I do suffer from anxiety. I mean, you know, it's a given. It's a given. Quite often when we go through... It comes with that. Quite often when we go through severe traumas in our lives... um, Yep. You know, and I never had it until I had my own traumas. Then I now suffer from depression. Right. So I do suffer from trauma, from um, anxieties. Um, and uh, I remember this. Uh, a couple years ago, we had we had an event hosted at our school where they were honoring one of our congressmen here, our first black congressman from this area. Mm. And I remember that when they chose our school, it was a big deal because like, oh my gosh, little me and they selected us. This is, this is great. This is awesome. Right. <clears throat> and, um, and I had to give a speech in the beginning about our small business, how small business are being impacted by the government. You know, it's, it's a subject that I, I'm very comfortable with. Yeah. Yet, right before that event, I had a nervous breakdown. Mm. And here's my office we call we call her our office mommy uh, Wanda who's been with me for 10 years here she is she knows how I am she's like wait a minute no not you not right now she's like you do this every time but you always do amazing when you go out there so here she is spinning me in my office and they're calling my name to go out there and she's spinning me with like a piece of paper and then my other friends like massaging my shoulders and like another my assistant telling me you can do this like go out there and nail it you can do it but I just went I just I had I had a nervous breakdown right before that event. My anxiety kicked in, my hands shaking, I'm sweating. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. And they're announcing my name out there. So I had to go out there. <laughs> so I, I, I went to the mirror in my office and I slapped myself. I literally slapped myself to snap out of it. Mm. That was the first time I had to do something like this, but it was either that or there was no way I was going to go out there. So I had to tell everyone, please give me a minute. Get out of my room right now. Get out of my office. I need a minute to myself. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and I said, little girl, whatever you're dealing with right now, you need to get out of my (laughs) body. This is not the time for it. You need to get out of my body right now. 
And I had to literally talk to me in the mirror and smack that little girl out of me. I mean, it sounds a little psychotic in a way, yeah. but literally took that much uh, from me. And I slapped myself so hard. You can see the makeup and the paper that I was holding. No one knew why that there was so much makeup on the paper. But later I'm like, oh, it's because I slapped myself. <laughs> So I literally had to slap little Sylvia out of me, calm her down. Just like you talk about how Kevin Hart knows how to control that little inner de demons. Yeah. I had to slap out of me. I'm like, no, not right now. Not. And I slapped myself, got myself together, shook, my, shook it out of me, walked out there and spoke like nothing happened. Mm. So what is my message for someone who is dealing with anxiety? Um, and just fears of doing what they should be doing, slap it out of you. You can like, you need to smack it out of you. And I'm not saying just physically, okay, yeah. you need tame it, tame it. Because when you're dealing with those anxieties, that means you're about to do something great. Yeah. It doesn't just, it doesn't just come just because, you know, you're about to, you know, it comes out when you're about to do something great, something meaningful something life changing. That's when it comes out. Yeah. You have to know how to control it. That's when you have to be strong enough to say, no, not today. Not today. Wow. <laughs> how did this school come about? The Zell Technical Institute. Um, so Zell Technical Institute, we started uh, back in 2009 um, during the um, economic crisis, the housing economic crisis. And, um, I was, I was like many residents or citizens where I couldn't get a job because, uh, I was underqualified, overqualified with having my undergrad degree. And now I'm in grad school. So, um, <clears throat> I worked for a school, um, for a couple of years where I was the director of student services, which was a technical school. So <clears throat> when I left that position, Things didn't work out there. I started looking for jobs, couldn't find anything. Um, I wanted to give to give back. That's the thing. That's the funny thing. Even though we are a for-profit school, we started our mission just wanted to give back. So then we started a, we started a a training center to provide continuing education for healthcare professionals. Because when I did research, I wanted to help people. I'm like, and I'm like, how can I help? How can I help people? And um, when I did my research, healthcare was still hiring. The healthcare, they were still hiring. So I said, okay, well, let's do things to help people get in the healthcare field. And that was the idea. It started from there as a small storefront school. We literally got a 600 square feet uh, building, a storefront building. That's how we started uh, 13 years ago, going on 14 now. We just wanted to give back and then more people kept asking for more programs. And so we just kept adding programs and we just keep growing from that little store to a 2,000 square feet and 2,000 square feet didn't work. We went to 6,000 square feet, 6,000 square feet didn't work. Now we moved to 12,000. It just kept growing to, to the point where um, I realized that it, it wasn't even about me anymore. It wasn't even about me. And, and, and sadly, going back now, I'm, I'm looking at it. I said, God wanted this for me, even though I fought against it. I mean, mind you, I wanted to become an attorney and I give up that goal for the school, you know? And so 
uh, and I fought I fought against the idea of continuing from you know many many times when I went through my divorce it was very difficult incredibly difficult having to fight in court all the time having to fight yeah. for custody <clears throat> excuse me it really took a toll on me and I, I wanted to make the decision to just close the school and move to Texas mm. and and I couldn't because it was it was just the vision was beyond me it wasn't just a Sylvia's vision anymore it became apparent that the community needed me and needed us and needed the school uh the people that we served um they needed us so a lot of people were invested in the vision so i i just couldn't betray them and just get up and leave like that so we just kept growing and growing and now we have a great school that is providing healthcare professional for uh our biggest hospital here Lee Health Hospital and NCH all the major hospitals and we're very fortunate and blessed to be able to do what we do uh because we we have a very specific uh target market which um which focus more on the immigrants area so we have a lot of immigrants from the caribbean central america south america um and other countries and and then we also have the underserved community here mm-hmm. yeah and we attract them because like i always said it's all about foundation our our school understand them because it was funded by someone like them yeah you understand so our our environment promotes this level of comfort that they may not be able to find in another setting that's more rigid or more corporate or even you know um just not welcoming to to our people so so yeah it's a, it's a blessing i'm i'm very fortunate when i say fortunate i'm very fortunate to do what i do to make the to change the lives that we've changed over the years we've been around for 13 years now this year was celebrating 14 years and now we you know want to buy we want to buy our own buildings we're doing we're we're doing more programs we want to go online so there's it's 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 exciting it's really exciting and i'm really um grateful to the community for supporting my vision because in the beginning it was not easy i'm just you know a little itsy bitsy 25 year old you know who who had with a little pitchy voice trying to you know pitch my ideas to people and and it's like how old are you and i looked like i was 19 even though i was 25 yeah so it was very difficult for them to accept that this is something you know that is worth of looking at yeah so after several years they realized oh yeah this girl knows what she's doing <laughs> The hustle and, came back, huh? The, the hustle from your childhood, from your grandma. Yes. Oh yes. Oh, I my my family. Then there are two things I'm grateful for. Um, my family. Well, I'm grateful for many things, but when it comes to my family, my I didn't have the greatest childhood. Yes, it wasn't fair that I was separated from them at a young age. Um, yes, my mother wasn't the best mom. She couldn't be. <laughs> Even when I mean some people were lucky they had the support to be. I just feel like she didn't have the support to be the mother that she really wanted to be. Yeah. You know. And um my dad not being in my life for years. I look at it and it hurts and it's like, dang, I wish I had that. I see people having these relationship with their parents and I envy it. I'm like, I wish I had that, you know. But 
they they did two things right one of them is they introduced us to god at a very young age we didn't have a choice we were built in in a church you know so we we were able to we were we we were introduced to god at a very young age and we also were introduced to business like the hustle were building us we've had family shops we've our entire family that we all very entrepreneur entrepreneurial my brother was an apple authorized dealer at the age of 22 wow. he was the only one in the caribbean he's the one really he's the real hustler he's the one who really started the whole thing for us and um <clears throat> my sister was an entrepreneur my um and then and then me of course and then my other sister is is uh, studying entrepreneurship right now so so my parents did that right they always got us involved in the business they always trust us to run the business there were times when my mom went on vacation and we were the one running the shop yeah. <laughs> and we were teenagers we were kids yeah and we're the one running the shop you know opening selling making deposits you know, ordering stuff. It's been ingrained in us at a young age. So definitely the hustle, the entrepreneurship spirit is something that we're blessed to have in our family. And and thanks to our parents. They didn't know what they were doing, but they did it right. Hundred <laughs> percent. It made us fearless. Yeah. Listen, in life you can either continue to make excuses for yourself right. or you use what you were given. So you are using everything that you were given that transpired yeah. in your life. Everything didn't go to waste. Nothing went to waste. So you're using everything. Thank your you story so that you are telling us. No, of course. Thank you for honoring us with your story. Absolutely. You, your story you're sharing with us, the whole world, in your book. And everything else that you went through and then your entrepreneurship from your grandparents to your mom to now serving a whole community our yes, and now my son he's doing it too <laughs> yes and then you're laying the foundation for your son as well and seeing the hustle that she he's seeing on, on in you Kids watch well, he's learning it now. I already teach him. He's homeschooled, and I'm teaching him. He's he's studying financial literacy right now, and I yeah. he's building his lemonade stand. Like I'm already te- he's already learning business because you know it's not that he may not become a business owner. I don't I don't really put a title or a label on him. Whatever he wants to become, as long as he's happy, that's what matters to me. But I have to teach him what I know yeah. best. And those are the things that I know best. So I have to ingrain him. I have to, like my grandmother did. Yeah. Uh, she didn't have the education to give him. She didn't have the academic education, but she had the other, you know, pieces of it. So I'm grateful for it. So that's what I'm I'm extending to my child. In um, So I'm, I'm changing gears. In 2010, we all witnessed what happened in Haiti. Yes. And almost 300,000 people died yes. Died during that time. I was very heartbroken because I worked with a sister that was from Haiti and it was heartbreaking. I was glued to the TV, I'll be honest with you. I, I was glued to the TV every single day seeing that and it was sad to watch. How is the country now? Have you been since 2010 and how is the country now and was your family affected? Um, so I, 
Thank you so much for bringing that up. Bringing that up. I, um, I was here, of course, when it happened. It was devastating. I was very involved. We raised, I host events, of course, to raise money. If I remember correctly, I think we raised between five to 10 grand in the events that we host uh, here locally in my area. And, and um, so I have been back to Haiti since it happened. Um, it's very unfortunate what Haiti has happened has experienced over the years yeah. it's very unfortunate politically um and of course you know um with the climates and the, the disasters it's 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 unfortunate um i i remember that day like it was yesterday because my grandmother still still lives there my other siblings and family they're not there mm. but my grandmother is still there and i remember not being able to get a hold of her and i remember that feeling going to sleep not being able to know if she's alive mm. or if she's dead and if anybody knows me, they know I am a grandma girl. I love my grandmother. She's like my mom. So my heart was just, I was literally going to sleep hardworking every single night, every single night. Um, but by the grace of God, after a few days, I heard back from her. She was okay. Uh, she's in the part of Haiti that wasn't really affected. She's like, she were more like towards the DR um, area and was surrounded by some big mountains. So we were safe but you know everywhere else uh, in the uh, Port-au-Prince and the, the the main areas it was damaged devastating yeah. devastating and I've had friends who lost moms dads brothers sisters fam cousins kids I had a friend who lost her kid her own child mm. um and, and I had a friend her mom was visiting visiting the country visiting the country when it happened and the mother died so it was a very devastating time for Haiti. I would like to say we've recovered, but then I'll be lying. <laughs> yeah. We haven't recovered. I've been back. There were times uh, when I went back, I want to say do, 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 when when Michelle was Michelle Martelly was the president. I went back. They did a really good job cleaning up. Uh, things look really promising. Yeah. But like every elections, it's a new start for Haiti. And so he was dismissed again. <laughs> and so um, the new president took over. And as you know, he's a, he's he's dead now. He's a, <laughs> yeah. they murdered him, and we don't really have a president now. So it's when I talk about Haiti, it's it's painful. It's painful being the first black free country in the Western Hemisphere, yet being the poorest country there. Crazy. It's, it's the craziest thing. We were setting the standards for Black people in the Northern America. We were setting the standards uh, for the Caribbean. We were setting the standards for Black people in captivity. Yet we can't we can't get it together. And and I cannot blame my people solely for it. Again, I don't get into politics. I'll let somebody else in that position do yeah. that. You know. I can't just blame my people for it, and I can't blame other countries entirely. But Haiti has been bullied. Haiti, ha Haiti has been dismissed. Mm -hmm. Haiti has been manipulated. Yeah. And it's just at a point where it's too late. Oh, is it too late? I don't even know. Is it too late? I don't know. But if we continue on that platform, we'll never recover. And who knows what might happen? We don't know. We don't know, but for those of us who 
who are from there, for those of us who have family there, for, from, from, for those of us who still love, we still love our country, it's a painful reality. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I wanted to, for people to kind of get like a little bit of an update because when things happen and it's no longer on the TV, nobody is asking any questions anymore. They assume everything is okay, everything is going well. So I just wanted to, from your point of view, just to get an understanding of what has happened since then and how everything was, you know, how you were impacted by it in any way. Because it's your home country, regardless. It is my home country, no matter what. It doesn't matter who I am, where I, you know, where I go, who I become, it is my home country. And, um, and I'm forever grateful to to Haiti, you know, it, I don't live there anymore, so I'm not fully updated on everything that is happening. Yeah. No, of course. Where you just don't want to, don't even want to follow the news anymore. You know, the, the, when it comes to the news, they're there to make money, and that's when I always tell people that you have to go to Haiti to to experience it yourself. Yeah. Growing up, I remember they kind of make you afraid, even though you're from there, your own countries, your own people makes you afraid to honor your country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, and then you have you come here and you have the, the the media who 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 finds pleasure and showing the most destructive part of your country, knowing that there's beauty in it. I did not understand much about Haiti or even uh, value much about Haiti until I was in college and I decided to study more about it and decided to make a trip there by myself to mm -hmm. understand and learn more about the culture. Yeah. And that's when I realized the beauty. You know, I stayed in a beautiful hotel and I'm, and I'm like, what are they talking about people living for? Like I went to some of the beautiful parts and I'm like, wow, why aren't we showing this? Yeah. And this is where, this is where Haiti is being manipulated. Every country has terrible, terrible political um, well, not terrible, but we all have horrible parts of our country. Yeah. Aesthetically, like, you know, vi uh, visually and yeah. politically and, you know, in all of that, all, all, all other aspects. And Haiti has um, some issues. Yes, of course, lots of issues. Too many to mention. Um, there are, there are, the poverty level there is great. There are poor people. There are poor parts. There are disgusting parts. Uh, there were kids suffering, but yeah. then what, ha what about the beautiful parts? Yeah. I always wondered that. Um, if what about the beautiful, gorgeous, absolutely please? I mean, I, I saw these things for myself and I'm like, wow, why aren't we showing these? Yeah. What is the pleasure of showing this little girl walking barefoot and naked, but yet you can't show this little girl who grew up in the country and went out and did something great of ourselves and working for FEMA and speak six, five different, five, six different languages in her own country and making a difference. What about that part? What about the, the beautiful monuments? What about the different, the beautiful beaches and the mountains? We have some of the greatest mountains in the Caribbean. That's why it was called the Pearl of the Caribbean. What about those sites, the beaches, the water, the mountains, the, what about them? They don't, they don't show you those. They won't, they can't. Yeah. Politically, it's not really uh, fulfilling fulfilling their agenda, so they won't. So.
So that's the reality we have to live with. And that's not just Haiti. It's many other countries, too. Oh, no, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> I, I was constantly angry. I stopped being um, upset about it when they showed, like, my country. They showed my country, and they didn't show it in a good light every time. Yes, because yeah, if we go around America... We do have rural areas. Yes, there's a lot of people that are in poverty, uh, extreme poverty. And yes, we do have malnutrition, but you can't not constantly show that part. What about everything? They defined us by that, especially colored countries. That's what they defined us by. And it's unfortunate and it's upsetting sometimes. You know, I mean, think about it. Let's go around America and start filming all the terrible parts, shall yeah. we? Can yeah. we also go in Europe? I've been to Europe. Europe is beautiful, but can we go around Europe and start filming filming all the terrible, dirty parts, the filthy garbages that they have, you know, garbage they have all over? Can we can we film that? Can yeah. we really focus on that? No. But no, we don't. We don't. We think of Europe and we go, oh, pleasing to the eyes. And yes, it is. But so is Haiti. So is, you know, Zimbabwe. Yeah. So, Nigeria. Well. Yeah. So it's Kenya. So it's you know uh, Panama, Guatemala. Yeah. So it's Jamaica. Like you know, I can go on. Yeah, but you yeah, might are representing. You are representing your country really well. You should be proud to where you are, the work you've done on yourself, and the work you've done for the community that you continue to do. Um, you. Your bio is just a little bit of just what. A little bit of your achievement, but you do more than that. Um, do you feel fulfilled? Um, yes, yes, and thank you for asking that. I didn't, I didn't used to feel fulfilled before. I lived my life on survival mode, so it, it was always what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, and um, I've had to. I've finally come to peace with my life where I can pat myself in the back and say, good job. And I do feel fulfilled. I mean, I have many goals and dreams like everyone else, of course. You know, um, anybody can start a school. Of, well, I shouldn't say anybody, but if you're really focused, you can, I, I believe it, anybody and everyone can, are capable of doing anything, if yeah. that's what you want, okay? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't I don't put a label on anybody, but um, I don't look at the school as ultimate success or fulfillment for me. So when you ask me, do I feel fulfilled? I say yes, because I'm not just looking at one aspect in my life. I'm looking at all aspects. And when you look, when it's like Matt, it's like, you know, doing uh, statistics, you put all the pieces together and then overall um, the, the end results is what's really the, is this the reality, right? So the end results of all the combinations of my life, when I look at it, yes, I'm fulfilled. It takes a yes. it takes a lot of us to get to that point because we're yes. always chasing. So it's good to have that. It's good to chase. Don't stop chasing until yeah. you you know. If you're waking up, you can't pay your bills. You better keep chasing. If you <laughs> yeah. if you if you're still self sabotaging, which self sabotaging is something that we all struggle with. I struggle with that, and you know, there's still there's always room to 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 um, you know achieve more. To grow so I'm still growing I'm still learning I'm still achieving but fulfillment you have to feel fulfilled enough where you can say I'm proud of this I'm proud of that or um I I'm you know happy where I'm at yeah yeah 
that's good. good. Have you found your concrete pastures? Ooh, I want to say yes. I want to say yes. I think I have found my concrete pasture, uh, I, I or pastures rather, because I can have more than one. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like my, I think my concrete pasture is being able to make a difference mm. at the capacity. We all can make a difference, big or small. Yeah. But knowing my, knowing what I have been through, what I've experienced, the battles that I've fought, the challenges that I've overcame, and to still be able to do what I do and make a difference at a massive level, I think that's my concrete pasture. And, and it doesn't have to be through the school because now I do like other stuff. I have a woman empowerment event that I do every year. I keep telling myself, don't host it. It's too much time and money. And then everyone, and then every now and then I get a call, are you going to host this event? I'm like, oh, I guess I'm hosting it again. You know, so it's not just through the school. I find myself making differences in different areas now. Yeah. And, and I, I would not have been able to do that without without my experiences, the journey and the challenges that I've been through. So my concrete pasture is being able to make a difference. And you are doing that very well for our whole community in the diaspora. I'm grateful to you for honoring us again with your story, for being here. It's early in the morning, even though we are on the same time zone. Um, Yes. I know you're so busy. So I am so grateful for for the time that we've been able to have this conversation. Right. And thank you so much, so much for considering me, for accepting me on this uh, platform. Thank you for what you do. It's not taken for granted. I hope you're not taking it for granted. You're giving people like me a platform to share my stories that is making a difference and thousands of lives. And I can't, I can't wait to see what Concrete Pastures will be doing in the near future. Thank you so much, my dear. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And thank you again. Now we go and be fabulous women and take care of the babies and do what we do. (laughs) That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming.